0: Welcome to our podcast from the Arc Insider. I'm Karen Allen, and I'm speaking to you from Johannesburg, and my co-presenter is Tara O'Connor, the managing director of ARK, the Pan-African risk consultancy firm, Africa Risk Consulting. And she joins me from London. Our podcast is still relatively new and still taking shape, but our aim is to offer some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation to stimulate ideas among those who live, work, and breathe African affairs. First is a recap of events in the news, and then a virtual fireside chat with a guest to mull over the topics trending on the continent. This week, we'll be hearing from the voice of private equity to find out if COVID-19 presents an opportunity for emerging markets across Africa, not simply for investors, but for ordinary people on the ground, at a time when recession threatens to cast millions of people across sub-Saharan Africa into unemployment. First, though, Tara, good to speak to you again. Hello, Karen. Another day in lockdown. Another day in lockdown, another day in paradise. Well, after a busy week in the news, there's hope with the rolling out of the COVID-19 antibody test in the UK. We had scandal with the politics of mask wearing in the United States with President Trump on a visit to a car factory dramatically peeling off his mask before talking to reporters. A bit of visual messaging
1: there, I suspect. What about life on the ground? How are things with you, Tara? Well, we enter yet the second Maybank holiday weekend, and it's again beautiful weather, and it's come just in time for me because I really do now have cabin fever, and I'm looking forward to having uh, a couple of social engagements uh, at a distance. Six feet away Two metres,
0: depending on whether you're metric or not.
1: I think in metres ever since school in Zambia, 1974. (laughs) Now, here in South Africa, the momentum for lockdown measures
0: to be lightened has gathered pace and restrictions are in fact being eased from the 1st of June. But as predicted, Tara, infections are rising. And we have also seen huge queues for welfare payments outside the government's agency, SASA. They're queuing for a 350 rand monthly handout. That's about 19 US dollars. And those queues have stretched into the night in freezing cold conditions. Remember, we're heading into winter. Really, it's brought to head the reality that here in South Africa, there are limits on how many customers the agency can serve in person because of social distancing protocols. And there just isn't the capacity here to roll out digital payments wholesale.
1: Sasa is blaming technical problems and delays in the system for non-payment of grants recipients in many parts of religious matters Nigeria left today joins Muslims around the
0: world thousands. in marking this year's al Fitri as they bid farewell to the fasting month of Ramadan. However, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected this year's occasion as nations around the world take measures to
1: curb the disease. We're in the country where the virus is now spreading faster than anywhere in the world. Our team in Brazil plus Richard Engel inside an ICU in Mexico. It has determined that the atlet level for the whole country should be lowered from level four to level three with effect from the 1st of June 2020. Greece has announced plans to reopen its holiday resorts as the threat from coronavirus begins to recede and to allow foreign holidaymakers to return from next month. Nelsato says the 1st of June is way too early for schools to reopen. It says its survey shows that at least seven provinces are not ready to resume learning. The union says no teacher should return to the classroom if precautionary measures are not in place.
0: Well, building on that, Tara, I was particularly struck by a couple of stories. First of all, the issue of elections in lockdown. Burundi held elections this week with no international observers in defiance of many health experts and human rights campaigners. Now, just one month ahead of its planned elections, uh, Malawi has seen the head of the election commission stand down. She's been under a lot of pressure to go after the handling of last year's controversial poll, which was mired on widespread irregularities and what some have dubbed the great correction fluid con. So it'll be interesting to see if that election actually goes ahead next month. You'll remember the Constitutional Court uh, ruled the uh, earlier election um, out of court, null and void. The other story which really leapt out at me concerns Tanzania. Now, we haven't got it in for Tanzania, but I know we've been talking about an awful lot in recent weeks, and it's no surprise. We we talked previously about the high-profile sackings of those in charge of laboratory testing, and Tanzania still hasn't released figures of COVID-19 cases since the 29th of April. I mean, that's quite staggering, isn't it? Well, the U.S. Embassy has clearly had enough. It's issued an advisory as much a diplomatic tool as anything else, warning foreign nationals that the risk of contracting COVID 19 in Tanzania is extremely high. I guess the question is, Tara, will other foreign missions actually
1: follow suit? Indeed, it'll be interesting to see if they do. And from my point of view, I, our stories this week take me back to Nigeria, where after a ferocious uh, palace battle, uh, President Buhari has named a replacement for um, Abba Kiari as chief of staff. And the new appointee, Ibrahim Gambari, is a long standing diplomat and academic. And critically, his appointment breaks a control of a northern cabal around the presidency that had started to act as a gatekeeper to the presidency, which in turn had stifled most economic and other reforms that are absolutely essential to Nigeria's uh, weathering of the COVID-19 storm. And the second story was again the uh, Nigeria again where the IMF has actually approved the 3.4 billions in budget support that Nigeria had asked for and has um but has attached some conditionality I believe uh, uh including which will be music to the ears of many businesses that the government take expeditious steps to liberalise the exchange rate uh, and to reunify the exchange rate. And what does that mean in practical terms, Tara? In practical terms, it means a devaluation probably is sooner rather than later, but also it it will mean merging of the uh, unofficial rate, uh, which is the black market rate, which is about 400, over 400, 460 uh, naira to the dollar, as opposed to the fixed rate fixed by the central bank at 360 to the dollar, which obviously is a considerable gap.
0: You're listening to The Arc Insider with me, Karen Allen in Johannesburg and Tara O'Connor in London. The focus of our podcast continues to be the response to COVID 19 and what it means for the African continent. Now, you'll remember that a few weeks back we mentioned that the World Bank predicts that the coronavirus could cost sub Saharan Africa up to 79 billion US dollars in lost output. The continent is expected to experience negative growth, with GDP predicted to be in the region of about minus 5%. It is a very dim picture. So, is there any good news for the region? Can private foreign capital, for instance, offer some respite? Well, our guest today is Michael Turner, who's the managing director of the private equity firm Actis. He joins us from Nairobi. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Karen. Uh, First up, Michael, for those of us who are not in the world of finance, can you simply explain what exactly does a private equity firm do? Um, Private equity
2: um, is the investment in private companies of equity on a medium to long term basis. At Actis, we invest in um, private enterprises in geographies uh, such as South Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Um, i.e. the growth markets of the globe.
0: And haven't private equity firms, though, had a bit of a bad rap with uh, perceptions that you have a situation where rich foreigners are investing in firms on, in sub-Saharan Africa, strip them on assets, riddle them with debt, and then exit? That has been a rap that some private equity firms have had to endure.
2: Yes, I've not necessarily heard that Wrap, as you describe it, for private equity, um, which is sort of uh, made on a, on a sort of global basis, actually applied to what we do, which is quite specialist and concentrates on the growth markets of the world where risk capital is hard to come by and where the expertise for making such investments is in limited supply as well.
0: Is there a role, do you think, as part of the post-COVID-19 economic recovery for private equity firms?
2: Oh, yes, um, definitely. Um, As I say, we're long-term investors and we ride out cycles of um, all sorts of different natures. And we see um, the COVID pandemic pandemic as being um, a cycle that needs to be um, worked through and one which will throw up opportunities.
1: To come back on something that you said, I think uh, in contrast to the rest of the world, private equity has played very much a developmental role, has it not? In particular, in, in sort of developing Kenya's uh, uh, renewable sector, which I think is one of its great successes. Yes,
2: there are various answers to that question, Tara. Um, and, and part of it rests on the fact that private equity investment in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, um, has been, to quite a large extent, funded by the development finance institutions. And that was really to stimulate a private equity industry in Africa um, at a time when there wasn't one, um, but also to um, capacity build in, in local markets with fund managers um, developing the skills necessary for private equity investment. What you have in Actis and other big players like um, Carlyle and TPG is established private equity fund managers coming into these markets, admittedly at a, at a larger scale and looking at larger, more established businesses. Um, engaging in private equity, um, and and Actis um, is a large player in the renewable energy space. It's a it's a global investor of some scale in renewable energy globally. Um, and yes, we're investing in global uh, in uh, in uh, renewable energy here in Kenya in the establishment of a hundred megawatt wind farm. Um, just south of uh, Nairobi.
0: Given the fact there's such a dire outlook for many countries in this part of the continent, particularly when, again, places like South Africa were already feeling the squeeze, what kind of role could quite private equity firms play as part of that sort of post-COVID-19 recovery period? Well,
2: the first thing to say is that we have a range of uh, existing portfolio investments um, across The three asset classes that Actis invests in, which is um, real estate, private equity generally, and renewable energy. And um, we have investments in um, a large uh, retail mall, uh, residential and commercial uh, real estate development in the suburbs of Nairobi, for example. We have investments in two consumer businesses in our private equity fund, uh, one the largest uh, dairy processing business in East Africa, and the second, um, the, um, the Java coffee shop chain of, of 80 outlets, for example. We also have an investment in a in entire distribution business, which is the largest in East Africa as well. And as I've said earlier, um, we are investors in Kepeto uh, Energy, um, which is a 100 megawatt uh, wind farm development, um, which is currently under construction uh, just to the south of Nairobi. Um, but the number one priority in general terms across our portfolio is um, employee welfare, of course. Um, secondly, liquidity management, i.e. making sure there's enough liquidity in these individual businesses for them to weather the storm. And we don't know how long the storm is going to last. And, um, and finally, to um, help these businesses in managing their liquidity to also manage their cost control and to bring costs down, such that we have sustainable business models through a considerable period of uh, economic turmoil.
0: Are you able to help with with staffing issues? Because One of the burning issues that's, that's certainly been in a lot of the news coverage is just the level of unemployment that is likely to arise out of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, And I mean, you talked about employer welfare, but is there a role to slightly recalibrate so that jobs can be retained in a way that perhaps that may not have been such a priority in the past?
2: Yes, it's a very, very high priority for us now. I mean, we see each of these businesses having, uh, you know, a a very attractive future beyond um, COVID. And therefore, while we might have to uh, contract in certain in certain respects in the business management of these underlying investments we do not at this point foresee any redundancies um, yes we we see uh, some need for furloughing but um, we would expect these businesses to recover and to return to their their workforces pre covid
1: I mean, one of the things that we have been following with this podcast has been how different uh, countries have responded. Yeah, I guess the question is, how do you see uh, Kenya's response to the to the, uh, COVID uh, crisis? How has how the response gone? Well,
2: the first thing to say, uh, along with another African, a, a number of other African countries, that um, Kenya's response was prompt. Um, the government's actions um, were to... Uh, introduce um, uh, a lockdown on travel, a nighttime curfew and the closure of schools, um, as well as um, the curtailment of the activities of meeting places such as restaurants. I think what we're seeing is some benefit of that. You know, the social distancing policies that are fundamental to the lockdown appear to be having some effect. Um, and indeed, has given the government confidence to begin to ease some of the restrictions, such as the the, the authorization to restaurants to be able to open during the days whilst observing social distancing. So, so restaurants are now open or, or free to open. However, um, they're only allowed to have four to a table within an area of 10 square meters, for example. And of course, the economics of a business like that, and and, and we have Java as part of our portfolio, is obviously altered quite considerably as a result of measures such as that.
0: Were you able to be fairly adaptive? Sorry, just using the Java example, because it's such an important brand in Nairobi. It's such an important brand in Kenya. During the lockdown period, were you able to be quite inventive and be able to do sort of expand delivery services and things like that, that so many other countries have? Yeah,
2: I mean, we we pivoted the model very quickly to uh, delivery and takeout services. And and delivery firms in in Nairobi have have clearly thrived as well.
0: And assisted by technology, Tara and I have been so impressed with where digital technology has played a role and there's been a real digital divide across sub-Saharan Africa with you know, countries like Kenya, where it, you know, it's very, very much established you know e-commerce, um, mobile, mobile money, um, has really been one of the saving graces, hasn't it?
2: Very much so. Kenyans are very tech savvy um, and have embraced technology. And, and of course, being familiar with uh, mobile banking as, as, as the average Kenyan is, that is that has been hugely beneficial at this time when people are essentially working from home, essentially living at home continuously, but still they need to affect financial transactions. And um platforms such as MPESA have been extremely helpful in those circumstances.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly much discussion about it here, um, but certainly Kenya seems to be very much sort of at the, at the forefront of it. Go on, Tara, ask your vulture
1: question. Yes, my vultures. Um, what I wanted to know about, Michael, was um, about your renewables project and how uh, you built in impact. That impact was actually built into the deal, wasn't it? Yes.
2: When we um, bought the project relatively late stage, um, it was already known that um, the location of the wind farm the prospective location of the wind farm was in in a in a bird sensitive area and and we um, chose to um, buy the project and invest in the project on the basis of accepting the challenge that that would bring from a um, environmental point of view um, and so what we 've committed to do is to be able to demonstrate uh, a net gain in um, the endangered species, white-backed and rupels vulture uh, on an annual basis as a result of creating offsets on the one hand to offset any, um, any losses we may, um, that may arise from the project. We hope there'll be none, and we will manage it such that there are none. But to the extent that there are losses, we will be able to demonstrate um, a net gain through the offset um, uh, measures that we're taking, which predominantly focus on the eradication, uh, the eighty percent eradication of poisoning in an area surrounding the project, by by working with the communities um, and 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 educating the communities as to the dangers of 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 poisoning that takes place, um, particularly amongst the pastoralist Maasai community where lion uh, predate on on Maasai cattle. Sometimes uh, the Maasai will retaliate by poisoning the carcass in order to eradicate the lion in their area. And of course, the collateral damage in the circumstance like that are the vultures that feed on the same carcass. And you can kill 40, 50, 60 vultures On one poison carcass. So the the rate at which a a population can be uh, diminished is is, is very, very high.
0: Okay, Michael, that's pretty much all we've got time for. But thank you very much for talking to us. It's been really interesting.
2: A great pleasure.
1: Okay, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on The Ark Insider. It's been great to have you.
0: You've been listening to The Ark Insider with me, Karen Allen in Johannesburg and Tara O'Connor in London. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested, Tara's team at ARC produces a daily chronology of events as well as reports and briefings about the region. You can sign up for these at info at africariskconsulting, that's all one word, dot com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and please do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. Stay safe and bye for now.